I trust it is well with your soul this morning. And uh, I know there are times when life is hard and uh, we struggle with all of those things. And uh, sometimes it's hard to sing that truth. And, uh, but wow, that's a great, great truth, great truth. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate the opportunity as we worship our God this morning and think about what a great God we have, that no matter what, it, it can be well with our soul. That's an amazing truth, amazing truth. Wow. Well, how many of you know uh, which verses we're going to look at this morning? We did announce it last week. Um, how many are up on your reading? How many of you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Some, yeah, okay, you don't have to, that's all right, that's all right. Um, my, my intent is not to lay guilt on anyone at all. <laughs> Just uh, as we continue through this, I would encourage you, uh, next week, chapter 3, read through chapter 3. We're going to look at the first nine verses, but uh, as you uh, continue on, and, and if you haven't read 1 Corinthians in its entirety for a while or at all yet, do that in one setting. It, it'll be great for you. Now, you can do it probably in an hour or less, really. You can and uh, just totally undistracted and focused and reading it through. It would be, be an encouraging to get the flow of that letter that Paul wrote to the believers in the church at Corinth. And, and my, my intent was, okay, to ask you, so what stuck out to you? For those, anybody, if you've read, what stuck out to you in the verses 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Anybody, anybody have anything that, that, that you read through it and you, you really did some homework this week and, and uh, something really jumped out at you? Or what words or phrases maybe did you notice, did you see? Anyone? All right, that's all right. Uh, D- Dave? I'm sorry. The authority of God's word in our hearts. All right. Anybody else? All right. De- Debbie. The Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. All right. Well, good. We're going to talk about these this morning. And uh, as I studied this week, uh, uh, these verses uh, were a mystery to me. If any of you really read that, you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying, and, and we'll get into that this morning. But Paul talks about, in our text, a mystery that was hidden, and uh, which has now been made known, and we're going to look at that. Uh, I was going to talk to you about a little bit about mysteries, but I'm 
I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I like to read, but I'm, I'm not a mystery reader or even a mystery movie guy or whatever it may be. So we're just going to dive in and look at the mystery that Paul talks about along with a number of other things. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 6 to 16 is where we'll be spending our time. But back up, you got your place there in chapter 2 and verse 6, back up to verse 1 because I want to quickly review. I want us to go, pick up where we left off. And in verse 1, uh, we re, when, when Paul began the church at Corinth, this is what he says. He says, so it was with, as it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or, now notice this, human wisdom. Human wisdom. I didn't come that way, he said, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. And then we said verse 2 is a key verse. Certainly in chapter 2, but certainly throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. Verse 2 of chapter 2, 1 Corinthians. Paul said this, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Huh? Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in the context of division and quarreling and disagreement and lack of unity in the church at Corinth, Paul says Jesus Christ and him crucified is the answer. I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 3 says, I came with weakness, with trembling, with fear. He says, verse 4, my message, my preaching were not, were not with human wisdom, wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And then verse 5, he says, so that your faith not, might not rest on, and there's the human wisdom, but on God's power. Two times in these first five verses, he talks about human wisdom. Now, we get to our text, verse 6. So follow along with me as I read. Verse 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom. Now, Paul just got done talking twice. He said it's not about human wisdom. But he says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Now, the mature here who he's talking about are not typically, as we think of spiritual maturity, not those uh, more mature Christians or believers. He's just talking purely when he uses among the mature. He's talking about Believers, in these verses, in our text, he's talking about the difference between those who know Jesus and those who don't. He's talking about those who are mature as those who know Jesus and those who are immature as those who don't. Now, that's going to change when we get into chapter 3. But as we look at it here in the context, that's exactly what he's saying. So he says, I speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age. That's not the human wisdom that he just mentioned up above in the first five verses. He says, not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. He says, no, we declare God's wisdom a mystery. There it is. God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined 
predestined, preordained, predetermined for our glory before time began. Wow, that, that's an amazing statement. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understand it. They don't understand the mystery. Uh, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. Those three things make up, he, he says, those things that God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, that's the human wisdom, all right, or the wisdom of the rulers of this age, uh, b but the spirit who is from God, that we, so that we may understand and uh, what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom. There it is again, human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person, verse 14, without the Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now I would ask you, okay, so now, did you notice any words that stick out more often that are used more than once or twice or three times even? You see some of those words? Wisdom just sticks out. It's there. I mean, in verse 6, he says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom. Also then on in verse 6, he talks about the wisdom of this age. He continues on, and when he says um, the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, so he's talking about the wisdom of the rulers of this age. Then he gets down to verse 7, and he talks about God's wisdom. He gets down to verse 13 and again talks about human wisdom. So there's something going on with wisdom. There's contrasts in these verses. We've got human wisdom. We've got God's wisdom. But then I want you to notice starting in verse 10. This is, I think, obvious as you look at it and maybe as you read through it. Verse 10, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Look at verse, the end of verse 11. Uh, the, the, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Uh, verse 12, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand. Verse 13, we, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Verse 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Verse 15, the person with the Spirit. Ten times in verses 6 to 16. Ten times we read about the Spirit. The Spirit from God. The Spirit 
of God, the Spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit of God, the one that we typically call the third member of the Trinity, of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit. So we see wisdom and we see Spirit, the Spirit of God. We see human wisdom. We see the wisdom of God contrasted here. Now stay with me. Hold on to that thought. But because I want you to keep this all in mind as it relates to this. Because if we backed up into our text to verse 18. Verse 18 of chapter 1. And what we would read there is for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And again, that's a contrast with the wisdom of God. Foolishness. Verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews. Foolishness to Gentiles. Down to verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Here it is again. This contrast between foolishness and human wisdom. And as we look at that. He says, the weakness of God stronger than human strength. Paul refers to the foolishness of the gospel in our text, in, in, in the chapter 1, as we've talked about it. We've seen that. The foolishness of God, that's the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing, as we talk. And Paul refers to the foolishness of the gospel, but now in our verses, verses 6 to 16, he points to a message of wisdom. Now, that's something that all of the philosophers of the day that had been there in Athens, we talked about Paul's being in Athens, and then when he came to Corinth, that were now there, that was what was going on. All of these orators, all of the sophists, the elite speakers, the philosophers, they had human wisdom and they, they reveled in their ability to wow a crowd with themselves. Paul says, I'm not doing that. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. The message of the cross Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. And so the wisdom that Paul is talking about, he's bringing this up because really it is the wisdom of God that the church at Corinth needs if they are going to overcome the division in the church. The wisdom of God. It won't happen as they pursue from a human perspective, even when they pursue God's servants, Paul, Apollos, Peter. Won't happen that way with the party spirit or the partisan spirit. Every time I say party spirit, I think somebody's thinking, what do you mean? They were out partying all the time? <laughs> the party, the partisan spirit that was developed, that was just a typical thing. People followed the speakers, the orators, the philosophers. They, they had one who they would grab hold of and that's who they would learn from. And, and, and what we read here, Paul says, that's not the way it is with the church. That's not the way it is with the message of the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. And I've determined, he says, that's why he says, to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But it's that kind of partisan spirit that is creating division in the church. Those who want what they want, those who like what they know, 
those who think they know best. Paul says, no, no, no. It, if you're going to be uh, in agreement, you've got to stand behind the message of the cross. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, as he talks about this message of wisdom to the mature, he says to not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers. And of course, he's the rulers of the age. We would think of, of individuals like when the church began uh, of Herod and of Pontius Pilate and, and of the, the Roman emperors and the rulers of the day. And, and though they thought they had wisdom, the, the, the leaders of the day, they, they did not. Paul says, no, their wisdom, they are coming to nothing. Same thing when Paul said earlier, they are passing away. They are perishing. And then he says, no, we're not talking about that. Verse 7, we declare God's wisdom a mystery. Now, what's this mystery? Well, he kind of just says it there in verse 7. We declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden. Now, again, hold your place there and look back to chapter 1, verse 30. See, this all flows. It all ties together. It, it's, it's, it's a letter. And as Paul, he's, he's referring back to what he already said. And in verse 30, this is what he said. He said, it is because of him who? God. Remember, we saw up above there. But God chose the foolish things. God chose the weak things. God chose the lowly ones. Why? So that no one would boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become, this is verse 30, who has become for us wisdom from God. See, that's what we were just looking at in verse 7. No, we declare God's wisdom. Verse 30, chapter 1, he says, wisdom from God. Well, what is that wisdom? He says, that is, verse 30, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. What is that? Our salvation, that's what he's talking about. It's our salvation. And, and as he's talking about the mystery that has been hidden, that God had predestined, predetermined for our glory before time began. Listen, I've got a slide here somewhere. Look at this. God's wisdom, this is a mathematic equation. Not really. It's a 1 Corinthians equation. Didn't know Paul was such a great mathematician, but here it is. God's wisdom, verse 7, is, as he says there, a mystery that has been hidden. Now, I'm going to get to the mystery in a minute. The mystery, it's been, it was hidden, but it's now made known, which is what? Christ Jesus. He's the mystery that has been revealed, that has been made known, which he says there in verse 7, that God predestined, predetermined, for our glory, which is our salvation. That's what Paul's saying here. We declare God's wisdom a mystery. Listen, a mystery. God's plan that had been hidden but is now made known. Throughout the Old Testament, we knew that God had a plan. He started right after Adam and Eve's sin in, in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3 when he introduced what would happen to Satan and that, some, that, that Jesus is there, verse 15, Acts, or Genesis chapter 3. And as it moves on through, 
We, we come to Abraham, and Abraham was promised by God that in him all the nations of the world would be blessed. There was a, a coming Messiah, a coming deliverer, a coming redeemer, and we can follow that red thread all throughout the bloodline, all throughout the Old Testament, all the way up to the birth of Jesus Christ. Can you believe that Christmas was like two months ago already? Wow. And we'll be here with Easter next soon, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. But the birth of Jesus, that's where, and then Christ went to the cross. And what we're talking about, that, that was a mystery. That's, that had been, been coming. And, and Paul says there, he says about that in verse, as he goes down through verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. But God made it known. We know now that mystery was Jesus Christ. Him crucified. Which has now been revealed to us. No longer a hidden mystery. And that was done for our glory. Can you believe God says that? For our glory. Wow. God predestined for our glory. What? The cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus would die in our place for our sins. And when we believe, when we by faith believe that Jesus and Christ alone is the one who can forgive our sin. Christ alone by faith alone. And the forgiveness of sin. One day. We've talked about salvation being past. Present. Future. One day. The glory. That's the future salvation. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8. Verses 28 to 30. Check that out. Write it down and read through. When he talks about him. He, he justified those he also glorified. And one day. We will receive glorified bodies. We will receive that salvation in its, in it, at, at its end when we see Jesus. Wow. That's what Paul's talking about. And as he goes on down through the rulers of this age, they didn't understand it because it was a mystery. But it's been revealed to us. Let me get to that in a minute. But just if you want to write down, I'll read it for you. But if you want to write down Acts chapter 4, verses 25 to 28, you could also look back in Peter's message on the day the church began in Acts chapter 2. But in Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 25, this is after Peter and John had been released from being in prison and told not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. And we read as they're gathered together, they're having a praise and prayer time together. And, and Peter says, Sovereign Lord, they said you made the heavens and the earth. And the sea and everything in them, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
He's using Old Testament scripture. He's talking about what Herod and Pilate did. But look at verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, the Jews, in this city. To, he's talking about there in Jerusalem, in this city, to conspire against your Holy Spirit servant Jesus whom you anointed they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen wow Pilate and Herod thought that they'd pulled the fast one Satan thought he pulled the fast one when they took Christ to the cross and crucified him but you, you know what that's the mystery that has been revealed that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah, who would go to the cross, shed his blood, die, be buried, and rise again to provide our salvation. The rulers of this age had no idea what was going on. That's what he's talking about. And then as we go on through the text, we, we get down... Verse 9, we said that, however, what is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these things are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. Have you ever thought, and you don't have to raise your hand, that when it talks about the, the no eye has seen, no ear has heard, uh, what no human mind has conceived, the things prepared for those who are loved. Have you ever thought about that as being heaven? It's not. It's our salvation. That's what he's talking about. That's the mystery that's been revealed. All right? The things that God has prepared for us, these are, verse 10, the things God has revealed to us now, not when we get to heaven, these verses many times are misused, misunderstood, misinterpreted. He's not talking about the future. He's saying they are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. That's when Paul was right there. What? Our salvation. That's what he's talking about. Wow. Our salvation. That's the amazing truth. And, and, and then as we get down to verses 11 to 16, uh, to the rest of the chapter. See, keep in mind, you have to keep in mind, Paul's dealing with disunity. He's dealing with division. And he keeps talking about the cross. He keeps talking about Jesus Christ. He keeps talking about Jesus crucified. The message of the cross that is the message he continues to land on, to continue to proclaim as it relates to the solution, to disunity, to solving division. So in verse 11, he goes on and he says, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Right? Nobody knows you like you. Your own spirit. You know you. And then he goes on and he says it's the same. Look at it. In the same way, verse 11, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. See, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He knows the thoughts of God, the deep thoughts, Debbie, you said, of the Spirit of God. Verse, uh, let me see, verse 12, what we have received is not the Spirit of God, 
or the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Now, keep in mind, Paul's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. So that's why he says what we have received. We who know Jesus. We the church. He says what we have received is not the spirit of the world. We talked about worldliness a couple weeks ago. But it's the same idea. That spirit, that which is opposed to God. The system of belief in our world that totally rejects God. Doesn't have anything to do with God. That's the, <clears throat> the wisdom of the world. But look there, right in the middle of verse 12. But the spirit who is from God, <clears throat> so that what we have received, not the spirit, but we've received the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. What is that? At that moment in time, what did they need? They need to understand that God gave them Jesus Christ. God gave them salvation. God gave them the forgiveness of sin. God revealed to them the mystery of the gospel. And again, just like Paul said back in verse 2, chapter 2, I determined I'll know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's continuing down that same road, that it's about salvation, that it's about what God has freely given us. The Spirit has revealed that to us. Verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom again. It's not what all the philosophers of the day in Corinth were teaching. That wasn't going to get them anywhere. He says it's not human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. There's a lot of different translations that go through that and explain, but the idea is basically the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in teaching us with words that we can understand. Spirit-taught words is He's revealed to us the truth of the gospel. Now, here we go, verse 14. You may have seen this because as we look at verse 14, Paul lays out, so who, who's involved in this business of the ministry of the Spirit of God? And in verse 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. Now, this text, these verses... Verses 14, 15, and 16 are full of contrast. Really, all of our text today, verses 6 to 16, contrast of worldly wisdom with God's wisdom. Contrast of the world's spirit with God's spirit. And now Paul introduces people with the spirit versus people without the spirit. Right? People, that, or as we may have heard and and I grew up using the King James, and so the, the translation was there always, the natural man. That's the man without the Spirit of God. The natural man is an individual who doesn't know Jesus. The natural man doesn't have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. He's not saved. He's perishing. The person without the Spirit is perishing. They're falling away, drifting away till one day they end up in, under the wrath of God in hell 
Why? Because they've rejected. Now, that's the natural man, the one who doesn't have the spirit. And then he talks about, it doesn't say, but again, those old translations talk about the spiritual man. Who's the spiritual man? Well, it's the one who has the spirit. The one who is by faith believed in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, sins forgiven, and our lives are transformed. And the moment, and I mean the moment, that we put our faith in Jesus Christ and acknowledge our sin, the Holy Spirit of God takes up his dwelling in our lives. Now, we're going to get into the whole business of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God as we read through 1 Corinthians. That's why I tell you, read through. Read through it. Now, one of the things that's always hard to do is not look at things or interpret things here early on based on what we know comes later on. You see, they didn't have that privilege. We do. But we have to be careful that we don't run ahead of what Paul's saying, something that he hasn't yet taught the people. But as we talk about it here, the natural man, the one who doesn't have the spirit, versus the spiritual man, the one who does have the spirit. Another, one, another way to say this would be the one who does not accept, as he says there. Look at that, verse 14, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. The natural man will not consider as true, willingly rejects the things of the Spirit of God, the gospel. Can't, can't get them. He, there, there is, yes, there's a cognitive lack of understanding, but there's also a volitional. That's the work of the will. There is a will that rejects the message of the gospel. If you're here today without Jesus, you can believe, I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never entered into a relationship with God by faith in what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross and shed his blood. He did that. He took our place to forgive our sin. And if you've never trusted Christ to forgive your sin, listen. You are willingly rejecting the truth that will save your life. You know what that's like? It's like them finding a cure for cancer. That really works all the time, 100%. And you have cancer and somebody's willing to give you the cure and you say, nope, not interested, thanks, but I'm good. Don't need it. That's what we do. If you don't know Jesus and you're rejecting the message of the gospel, you are perishing. You are on your way to eternal separation from God. The Bible calls that hell. But then he's contrasting that person with the one who does not accept, with the one who does accept the message of a crucified Messiah, makes judgments, discerns, examines all things. He says there. Listen, the bottom line is this. There's a difference between those who receive the truth and those who reject the truth. If you reject the truth, 
all of what we're talking about is foolishness to you. For you to hear me talk about Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross, that he was buried and rose again from the dead. Do you know that's a historical fact? It is not a biblical myth. It is a fact of history. It happened. And for you to reject that is rejecting your only means of forgiveness and eternal life after death with God. And the bottom line here is the difference that the message of the cross makes in your life, salvation depends on your willingness to either believe and receive that message or reject it, willingly reject it. Those without the Spirit, those who do not know Jesus, who are not following Jesus, who have not received him by faith, are perishing. Those who have the Spirit, those who are following Jesus, those who are being saved, they're looking forward to that one day when we get the glory, when we see Jesus as he is. We become like him, glorified bodies. That happens to those who receive the message of the cross. And then he ends by saying, who has known the mind of the Lord? It's kind of like, a, who do you think we are? Is there anybody really who can give advice to God? It's a rhetorical kind of a question. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the ability to see life from God's perspective. The mind of Christ. To understand from God's outlook what life is, what salvation means. And my question, again, is, okay, so what? So what? What does this have to do with unity. See, I keep wanting more. You can write this down or look at it in Philippians chapter 2. I, I keep wanting, Paul, come on, man. You've already talked about the cross. You've been doing it now for two full chapters almost. Uh, there's got to be something else. I, I, forgive me, I don't mean it, but it's, there's got to be something more practical. I mean, he says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He's talking to the believers in Philippi. He says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Now, that's what I'm talking about. That's unity-provoking stuff, right? He goes on, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Wow, talk about unity developing. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another. What's he say? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Woohoo! Why can't you say that here, Paul? Because he says, I've determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Folks, that is all we know. 
That is all we need to know. Remember this statement. God's holy people must become what they already are. You know how we've been declared holy. We've been saved in the past. Our lives have been changed, forgiven. We're on our way to heaven. But we must continue to grow in holiness. We must continue to practice, to pursue holy living. How does that come when we focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified? When our minds are focused on the message of the cross, on the gospel of Jesus Christ, how do we fight and quarrel and divide with one another? That's what Paul's saying. Jesus Christ. Listen, no church will ever experience unity if they're not pursuing holy living. Won't happen. Won't happen. And that includes heritage, folks. You can't pursue holy living if you don't have the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's contrasting the natural man and the spiritual man. And you know what he's hinting at again? Or not really hinting at. The verse we've been pointing to in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Folks, when I share that verse, I mean, Paul puts it in the word. He's not trying to create doubt. I'm not trying to create doubt about your salvation. But Paul continues to contrast those who know God and those who don't. Those who have the Spirit and those who don't. The natural man and the spiritual man. Those with the Spirit, those without the Spirit. He's contrasting. Why? Because he's saying, if you have the Spirit, unity ought to be just the thing, an outgrowth of your relationship with God, of your practical holiness. But if you're divisive, if you disagree, if you're arguing all the time on a regular basis, that's your pattern of life. He says, you've got to wonder, you've got to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Because that shouldn't happen for those who know him. That, that's, that's Paul's point. That's his whole argument. That's the main thing. As we talked last week, God's holy people must become what they already are. Holy people are to act like holy people. That's Paul's message. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when that becomes our focus, like laser focused in, Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And if something does, get your mind and your heart on the cross. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Paul's message. God, sometimes it, it just feels like there should be more. And yet, God, in our day today, our world, it's so easy to be distracted from what matters. It's so easy to get our minds off the cross. It's so easy to take that as just this routine thing that we did when we trusted Christ years ago. God, don't let us be thinking there has to be more and better. 
Because all we need is the cross. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Oh God, I pray that you'd help us to focus on Jesus. And God, I ask that if there are any here today who do not know Jesus, who have never experienced the forgiveness of sin and the life-changing power of God, Oh, I ask that you bring conviction of sin into their heart and help them to know the hope that comes because of what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross and shed his blood, proving that he was all that he said he was and would do all that he said he would do by rising from the dead. Oh, God, thank you. Jesus. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.